Welcome to Dharma If You Dare. In this talk, Doug and Catherine discuss how the current capitalist paradigm that is so focused on the individual creates all sorts of conditions in our psyches that lead to suffering. They explore how a shift in view and behavior would allow us to build a society that will work for everyone, not just a handful of people. The ideas in today's talk are explored in detail in the chapter entitled Spiritual Energy Traders in Doug and Catherine's best-selling book, Wasteland to Pure Land, Reflections on the Path to Awakening. If you'd like to read more about these ideas, you can visit planetdharma.com crazywisdom to receive a free copy of a chapter from the book. And now here's today's recording. All right. So our theory is that basically our imbalanced economic paradigm that we have today is basically mirroring our imbalanced internal states that we have as individuals and as a collective around resources. And I'm outing myself, you know, we're all part of this system and so we're all kind of equally caught in it. And that's why it's so cool to be experimenting with alternatives. To say the same thing in another way, we feel that the stock market and capitalism have evolved to reflect the imbalances in our psychic phenomena based on the emergence of agriculture 3,000, 10,000 years ago and that the imbalances based on that paradigm also are reflected in the imbalances that we are with today in terms of capitalism. And that's basically how our psyches mimic and how we mimic the system. They're kind of co-arising. So we're going to talk a little bit about the aspects that are part of capitalism and the aspects that are part of social economy, what we call social economy. Can I give an example of the imbalance? So as part of the ecological restoration that we do here at Clear Sky, when we bought the property, it was the perimeter was surrounded by an elk fence that's so high that wildlife can't jump over it. And ranchers here needed to protect their hay, basically. A lot of people lost a huge amount of hay that they'd grown to herds of elk in the winter would come and eat all their hay in their barn. So they had to prevent that from happening. But since we weren't growing hay, that wasn't a problem. So we were going to take down our elk fence. And we were actually, everybody we talked to tried to convince us to not do that. And that was really interesting to me because with the fences, part of the dilemma is then the wildlife migration patterns get disrupted and they can't access water or, or their sort of historical migratory patterns. So a lot of agriculture is about fences. And this is mine, therefore it's not yours. And so that's just one example of how that manifests. We did take it down, and we seem to be no worse off for it. So we're sharing We did put a fence up to protect the field. Yeah, we did put a fence up to protect our ag field. That's right. So we're going to talk about fair trade, social enterprises, social ventures, the collective level. We're going to talk about the art of giving. The art of giving. As a personal and political and social revolution rather than the art of taking, which (laughs) is what we've been trained to do with our salaries and our incomes and our stocks, if we have any, (laughs) and our investments. It's all about the art of taking. We're going to talk about the art of giving. So let's dive in a little bit more deeply. Let's do. We all have egos. And by definition, egos are separate. Kara is not Dave. Dave is not Kara. They have separate Egos and, and these egos are shaped by other people. 
initially by our parents and later by society, uh, schools, education, friends. And even as our egos seem to merge spontaneously, we would not know our own name if it wasn't for mother or dad. We wouldn't know how to talk unless people talk to us. So we have this kind of double whammy. We have us alone, me and my ego, and I don't know who I am without you. You tell me who I am. We inform each other. So we have this double pull, who I am alone and who I am with others. That's right. So that's reflected, uh, no pun intended, but that's reflected with mere neurons, right? Mm -hmm. So we are constantly in this empathic dance with others and tuning into what's going on with other people. And of course, others are mirrors back for us. And through things like cultural phenomenon like language or physiological phenomenon like language, we're deeply, deeply connected with one another and don't really know who we are without that feedback loop. And so this is another way of repeating what Sensei just said, which is we're running two programs at the same time, the self-interested program about me and mine and my fence and my stuff. And then the, I need you to help inform me who, who I am. So you can sing the song, I've got to be me. But and you, you have to let me know who I am. But you have to tell me who I am. <laughs> you know, it's, it, this is the, the dilemma upon which we twist. So it's our ability to speak. It's our language ability that has made us probably the dominant species on the earth because it allows you to talk to people you don't know and don't understand and find a common language. So we're talking not only a revolution in giving and receiving, but we're also talking about a revolution in terms of communication. We've not been trained to talk to each other. We've been trained to talk to objects. Yeah, I love how communication and community are almost the same word. Yeah, really. So anyone who has ever lived or worked or visited communities, which I guess is everybody, is familiar with this dilemma of really longing to have freedom of self-expression and self-determination and then the demands of any sort of community, which does actually need certain kinds of behavior and commitments and etc. to operate. And since we practice and live and work in community, we're getting really familiar with all of these things that arise. And we have a pretty similar conversation with almost everybody who comes to spend several months here, minimum. If you're here for a week or two, maybe it doesn't come up so much, but anyone who's here longer, the dilemma between those two different tracks comes up. And we go, ah! <laughs> How we organize negotiate, communicate around these two seemingly competing agendas, me and we, defines ourselves and our communities. So we have been defined by a capitalist model. So let's take a look at it. Capitalism basically focuses on me and mine, or a very small view of ours, like my company. It's a very tiny picture doesn't consider the planet particularly. So that's usually the accumulation of resources right. centered around that. And wealth in whatever form whatever those form resources takes, appear. Right? It's mostly about me. It's mostly about my family. It's mostly about my extended family, my company. But definitely it's isolatory. 
So Absolutely. it's individual oriented. As we wrote in Spiritual Energy Traders, eight individuals control more of the world's resources than the poorest half of the world's population. Eight. Eight individuals. So there's the basically the dilemma that we're talking about mm -hmm. is those eight people are, are really working the capitalist system very successfully, you could say, because that's what capitalism is geared towards. Mm -hmm. And we can see the impact on 3.5 billion people who are not working that capitalistic system so successfully. Exactly. Now you can argue that some very rich people do some very good things, and they do. Uh, Carnegie Hall or whatever was done by the Carnegie Foundation, and I think Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and whoever bought up tons of land in Patagonia to preserve it and etc. But the problem with this is that their social good work is mostly done as a tax write-off. But more importantly is that the process of taking undue profits and undue wealth into the hands of a small number of people at the same time raise everybody into the paradigm of being capitalist wage earners, capitalist slaves, at the same time that good work is done. So if we bypass the immediate step, we don't have to create a community of enslaved workers in order to do good things. We could just skip that part, go right to the good things and skip the slavery of the person paying for overpriced products. Okay, on the flip side, we're talking about socialism, social invention, innovation, social enterprises, and the like, fair trade, as focusing on community. So the idea is that you can still make a decent living, you can still have a decent livelihood, and be focused on community. It's a little harder to have decent communities when you're focused on capitalism. And we'll talk about that in a minute. That's right. But we live and work in both worlds. It's a me and an us dialogue. And we're gonna get into the idea of game theory. Now, the problem with the game theory idea when we talk about the tragedy of the commons is the collapse of a system where individual focusing on their own self-interest caused the system to collapse. The welfare of everyone suffers because of the greed of a few. And when population is small and resources are big, as in our past, this was not a big issue. We had small population, big resources. But we're in a new world. If I may, I think that's also why this dilemma is not felt as acutely in Canada mm -hmm. as it is in some other countries. Small population. Because Canada has a small population and a resources. huge amount of resources still. Right. And we're a very tiny corner of the world's seven billion people. Anyway, but now we're in a situation where we have a huge population and shrinking resources. So all of a sudden the tragedy of the commons becomes much more important. So please tell us what's the tragedy of the commons? Well, the tragedy of commons is basically when a shared resource, call it planet Earth, is shared amongst a number of people and each people take their percentage of their involvement with it fairly. But there's a place where that's people... That's the commons. That's the commons. But there's a place where few people with like particular talents or abilities or social irresponsibility or uh, greed or whatever, anger, fear, insecurities, start to overuse the commons and then they take out more than their share and basically in order for the other part of the population to get their share, the system collapses because it's overused. So this is kind of where we're at in a global economy in terms of environment, global climate change, resource diminishment, increased amounts of people at the lower end of the economic scale are so far based on the fact that we have 
limiting resources and hugely expanding population, we could call our current situation a tragedy of the commons. Okay, so now how did people get away with this in the past? Force of power. And bread and circuses. And bread and circuses. Keep them entertained. So because of our improved agriculture and because of our improved science around these things, we've kind of maxed into a place where wealth on the planet is greater than it's ever been. But then so are the problems. So people are living better financially than they've lived before, but they're not living better lifestyles than they have before. A lot of research is showing that hunter-gatherers had a better lifestyle than we did, do. They had a better diet. More diverse diet, More for diverse example. diet, shorter work week. The original three-day work, way before Tim Ferriss, they were having the three-day work week. <laughs> and a lot less disease, because most of our diseases stem from agriculture. Chicken pox, the measles, whoop-a-gob. Um, that's, so that's close contact with domestic animals domestic. and then consequently the accumulation of waste and the hygienic problems that come with that. And also hunter-gatherers had a more diverse diet, which of course is better for our immune system. Now we're not making an argument for throwing capitalism and agriculture out the window by any means. All we're trying to argue is that it has to be revolutionized into a better and more efficient system. Mm -hmm. And that's, we're arguing that social community and social enterprise at the business level, at the agricultural level, how we work and how we live and how we live together. So there is some really good news amidst all of this. The tragedy of the commons for some reason has really captured our imaginations. Most people are familiar with this story. And actually a woman economist, she's the only woman to have ever won the Nobel Prize for Economics. Her name is Eleanor Ostrom. And she did a study of commons around the world and found that actually there are many, many examples of commons that have worked really, really well for centuries, if not longer. So we just don't hear about them very often. And this is one of the challenges that we face. And this is one of the reasons meditation is so great is because we really need to change our habits and train our minds to put attention on the things that are working, right? And spend less time on the things that are not working, which we all seem pretty familiar with. So one example that we're familiar with in person is that, for example, Japanese rice farmers have been able to share water amongst entire valleys, entire villages, just by adjusting mud in their fields. So they'll just kind of move the mud around and so more water leaks down to the people who are lower down or, or less water. And that's been successful for a millennium at least. So that's the one we've observed ourselves. And Eleanor Ostrom, the economist, found that villagers of Torbel in Switzerland have managed their high alpine forests, meadows, and irrigation waters since the 13th century. So that's 700 years and running. Spanish people have shared irrigation waters for centuries also through something called the Huerta. And more recently, diverse water authorities in Los Angeles, which is after all a desert, learned how to coordinate their management of scarce groundwater supplies. So yes, even we modern people can figure out how to do this in a place like LA. 
that's really cool. And these systems have succeeded in many cases for hundreds of years, if not longer, through crises like droughts and so on. So communities do have the ability to develop their own evolving and flexible rules for resource management and resource stewardship. So that includes oversight of access, oversight of usage, and including effective punishment for rule breakers. So speaking of the revolution, we're basically, it is a change in the paradigm, but it's also just a continuation. Like we have known how to do this as a species. And so we just need to continue those traditions that have worked. It sounds kind of easy. Easy to say anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So here at Clive Sky, we are trying to incorporate these models and uh, be part of the healing process and part of the transformation. This describes how we can turn money traders into resource sharers. And uh, since it's already been done, as Catherine has just mentioned, and we're already involved in it, our job is to participate in it. And we're kind of arguing that we'd like as many of you to join us as we'd like to. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please rate and review Dharma If You Dare on Apple Podcasts to help more people find and benefit from these teachings. And don't forget to subscribe to get episodes and bonus content sent directly to your device. Today's episode covers ideas that Doug and Catherine explore in detail in their best-selling book, Wasteland Beerland. The third section of the book is entitled Crazy Wisdom and covers a wide variety of topics, including the shadow, tantra, and money, sex, and power. Podcast listeners can download a free chapter from this section of the book, by visiting planetdharma.com slash crazywisdom. This is our final episode of our third season. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for the launch of season four, happening this summer. We look forward to continuing to bring you content from the cutting edge of spiritual awakening. See you next season, and may all our efforts benefit all beings.